As we all know, most ancient rituals or heinous acts are best performed in the dark of night. But what if you need to do the unspeakable during the light of day? With the sun at its apex, surely a cloak of darkness would be all but impossible, right? Well, not so fast. Have you considered scheduling your dark mischief during an eclipse? Now I can hear your rebuttal. You're thinking, but Brendan, eclipses are short. They usually only last a few seconds, and my gloomy atrocity requires much longer than that to complete. And yeah, normally you'd be right. But here's the thing. I'm not talking about a normal eclipse. No, I'm suggesting you use the total eclipse of the plot trope, otherwise known in fiction physics, as a TEP. Now, unlike a regular eclipse, a TEP eclipse starts fast, lasts just as long as you need, and is over in a flash. In fact, the timing is so miraculous, you'd swear it wasn't possible. So, the next time you need to get away with some sort of shady calamity, try using a total eclipse of the plot. You won't be disappointed. This is a glorious day! Oh my goodness! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of Cinema Gush. We are so stoked to have a repeat guest. One of, I mean, okay, not one of, the most listened to episode that we have is with Professor here, and so Professor has joined us again. Sir, thank you so much for being on the show. We're so happy to have you Oh back. my! Well, I'm very happy to be back, and I had no idea I was that popular. Yeah. It's first uh-huh. time. It's, I a, think it it's was, an episode uh, many people have come back to and said it was their favorite. Yeah, something about the deep dive. Some We've been asked to do much longer form because when we first started, we were just around the 30-minute, 45-minute mark. But ours, I think that's one of the longest ones and uh, so thorough and so many great recommendations. And speaking of re- recommendations, as promised, faithful listeners, we're going to start this show where we left off on the last one. Professor, I would like to know... What is your 16 through 20 top films? It doesn't have to be in order, but we're, you know, we're just kind of curious from the last episode where I said we'll follow up with your 11 to 20. What is your 16 to 20, good sir? Okay, 16 to 20. And I was joking with you guys. My top 20 is a living, breathing document, yeah, like or unlike the Constitution, mm-hmm. depending on your political <laughs> beliefs. Um, my 16 through 20 are Wally. Oh. Her, Ooh. Oh. Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, <laughs> my wife's going to do that one on the podcast. Oh, oh wow! I'll yeah. listen. Network. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then the problem with Hitchcock is I really want like five Hitchcock films in my top twenty, but I can't really do that. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, a Hitchcock that I think is brilliant and that was to this day very influential in ways people don't understand is called The Lady Vanishes. I have not seen that one. Oh, I have not either. Oh my gosh. 19, 1938. He, before he, he came to America in 1940 to do Rebecca, his first American film, one best picture. But the two movies he did right before that in Britain were The Lady Vanishes and then The 39 Steps. And they were both phenomenal hits and The Lady Vanishes is one of the most entertaining, incredible movies you'll ever see. It's a thriller. It's a romantic comedy. It's everything. It's so good. Oh, my goodness. That is an excellent tease. Oh, man. When you said Wally, ah, oof, that is such oh. a good one. Um, what's, what's that? Oh, my gosh. There's one song. 
Specific to that soundtrack, I'm going to find the name real quick, just to be a little ultra specific. Put on your Sunday clothes. It, no, it was um, it was actually one that uh, Thomas Newton, uh, Tom oh. Newman did. Um, Describe dancing, I think it's called. Uh, oh yes. Define yes, no, dancing. No, no, Define dancing. dancing. Okay, that is like yeah. the greatest alarm clock you can have. Is that song? Oh my gosh! Yes, that song. And and yes. because. That movie is a lot of things, but ultimately that movie is one of the great screen romances of all time. That's what that movie is about. Oh, and wonderful. it's a glorious, glorious romance. I'm getting chills. And man. one of his oh, one of his best scores, and the poor guy's been nominated like 17 times yeah. as never one. We uh we wore out that CD on sound the soundtrack when we were kids. Not when we were kids, I guess I was a young adult at the time, but man, it we played it so often just got destroyed. Oh man. Wonderful, wonderful. That's exactly. excellent. Well, you know what? We're going to get 11 to 15 when we wrap up the show. But uh, – Ah, okay. Yeah, we'll get it then. But for everybody oh, else geez. who, you know, who's just stoked as heck for us to start gushing, look, we're going to do a Stephen King movie. It's called Dolores Claiborne. Where were you when you first saw this movie, Professor? I saw it uh, when it came out. It, they played it at the Cinerama Dome, one of the great theaters of – all time mm-hmm. with one of the biggest screens ever. And this movie is so widescreen and so stunningly beautiful besides being, I think stunning in a whole bunch of different ways that I'll pontificate about. Uh, but I just remember sitting there and I couldn't really like, I, I had, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, but I had not yet read the book. And so I didn't know that much about it. And I went in blind and it just slayed me like from the story to the acting, to the directing, to I think most importantly, probably Tony Gilroy's brilliant screenplay. So mm-hmm. that's where I was. Excellent. Yeah. Tony Gilroy, who, you know, is known for The Cutting Edge and State of Play. No, no. He's known for excellent, excellent films. He broke in with <laughs> The Cutting Edge. He did Dolores Claiborne, Devil's Advocate, which is terrifying. The older I get watching that film, Armageddon, but, you know, everybody <laughs> and their mother has a writing credit on Armageddon. Proof of Life, The Bourne <laughs> Movies. And then, Brendan, I believe you've seen Michael Clayton. Is that right? Oh, I love Michael Clayton. Michael yeah, Clayton is one of my favorite movies to watch in black and white, just to enjoy the lighting that he does. Oh, it's—I yeah. mean, that's a brilliant it's, masterpiece. That movie is, yeah, I love that movie. Excellent. So, yeah, Tony yes. is known for many awesome, awesome uh, features, and then this was directed by Taylor um, Hack, Hackford. Taylor Hackford. Okay. Yep. Yes. Many great Who, when well. he has a great. Sp- yeah, when he has a great script like this or Officer and Gentleman, he is just this – he's a great director. Um, you know, like Ridley Scott, he often picks bad <laughs> scripts and then oh, no. direct very bad movies. But Taylor Hackford also is the envy of many because he has been married for many years to Helen oh. Mirren. Oh, how about that? So, Nick, did, did you know this movie before we watched it? You know, so I did not know Dolores Claiborne. However, and, and we'll get to this eventually, um, when I when I watched this movie for the first time and then for the second time, and, and now it's actually on in the background for a third time, there's a shot when she shatters the window with the axe that I know from childhood and I can't tell you from where. That, that was a I computer no effect, right? Because the, the perspective doesn't change as the glass falls. My thought was it was printed on the on the glass. Professor, uh. do you know? I do not know. That'd be interesting to find out because this, if that was computer effect, that was really That's, early That was on. why I was and, surprised. And I really don't think so. 
Yeah. Because the 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 total eclipse scene at the end, there are no computerized effects there. That's five different layers oh, of maps that they have going all at the same amazing. time. That's amazing. That's amazing. It gives it such a surreal effect. That's wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but you didn't you didn't know anything about this because I didn't. I feel like we watched no, it the no, same way. I did not know the same way you did. Like I knew nothing about it. I turned it on and it was blown away. It was amazing. Yeah, completely blown away. Uh, com- and you know, I went in completely fresh. And the credits when Stephen King's name popped up, I was like, wait a minute. And then that brought me down a rabbit hole. And that the cover of that book I've also seen in my memory. I don't know where, probably. Barnes and Noble way back in the day or the library or something. But yep, I went in just like you, Brennan, completely fresh and completely blown. This is our second Stephen King of the season. We didn't do any last year, right? I uh, oh, I don't, I don't think, think so. so. But one. Doctor well, Sleep would be the first one. And then Oh, I love that, that movie. Okay, I love Professor, that movie. Director's Cut. You gotta see the director's cut. Oh my gosh. Oh, I have. I have. Oh I have indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling in, the, in that episode, we talk about how um, I think that's the movie that has finally converted me to watch more horror films because I, I, I never grew it's, up with horror. I, I'm not great at, you know, night terrors or having nightmares or all that crap. But um, that movie just gave me such an insane appreciation for the writing and the, the choices. And oh I picked gosh. it mostly yeah. to trick him into watching a horror movie that I loved. It worked. <laughs> Well, I won't, I won't go off on it because you've talked about it before, but the one thing I will say is Rebecca Ferguson should have gotten an Oscar nomination. She's unbelievable in that movie. She just picks solid films left and right. Like anytime I see her in a trailer, I'm like, well, we're going to see that one. That was easy. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, all right. Dive into Dolores, Professor. Take us away. Okay. Well, let's start with the book then. Mm -hmm. Um, Great. It was a very different book, kind of a departure for King at the time. And the book is fascinating because it is a single monologue. In the book, Dolores has shown up at the police station on her own and she says, I'm going to tell you what happened. And it's just, there's no chapters, there's nothing. It There are paragraph breaks, but it just is one long monologue start to finish that takes place over the course of a few hours that night. And it's not a mystery like the movie. There are certain surprises, certainly, in the novel as things roll forward. But in the first four pages, she sits down and she says to the police, I'm going to tell you right now, I did not kill that bitch Vera Donovan, but I'm also <laughs> going to tell you, I'm also going to tell you 20 years ago, I killed my husband, Joe. Wow. And so, so, and, and, and it's a terrific novel and really fascinating. And Selena is not really a big part of it. I mean, you hear about her, but it's just mm-hmm. Dolores talking. And like a lot of novels that are adapted into features, um, cause I'm going to bring this up in a second. It, she actually has three kids, two, two sons and a daughter in the novel. Mm-hmm. But so one of the fascinating things to me about Gilroy's screenplay is he takes this very straightforward narrative and buries what she says right at the beginning all through it. And so you have now a narrative that has three concurrent mysteries going on at the same time. What the hell's wrong with Selena? Mm -hmm. Why, right? Did Dolores kill Vera Donovan? And what happened with the husband with the total eclipse? And so he takes, it's so genius to me that he takes something very straightforward and turns it inside out and makes it this kind of triple mystery that goes on. And of course there's four or five other 
mysteries that you don't even think about, these revelations that come up. Sure. It's a brilliant, brilliant screenplay. Yeah. That's fascinating. I never would have guessed that the novel would be... Like, it screams a mystery here. Yeah. But you're saying it's just... It's a straightforward... Almost stream of consciousness? Or... I guess she's saying it out loud. Right. Yeah. Very, no, she's just sitting there talking to the police. And there are times when you can tell somebody says something and, she, and she'll and she answer their question, but hmm. you don't get their question at all. It's just her... The audiobook is great because one of our great character actresses, Frances Sternhayden reads the uh the audiobook so it's kind of fun to listen to wow and in there there are surprises in there like why selena is messed up doesn't come out until late and my favorite revelation in the movie which is judy parfit an amazing performance playing uh vera mm-hmm. donovan the kind of old witch that scene where she tells dolores about her husband and the car Oh. It's what, like I'm getting goosebumps right now. It's one of my favorite scenes in any movie. She's so amazing there, and it's such a switch because you're not expecting that revelation to come out right at that moment. Yeah. So there are things in the book that come out that way. Um, so it's not just entirely without surprise. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, that's that's part of his genius. Gilroy's genius was coming up with these mysteries, and then also. Um, it's one of the things I, cause I show this to my students and it's fun cause I make them watch it in class so that I'm making sure they can see a really good copy of it. And when the movie's over, they just sit there quiet for like five minutes. Like they don't even know what to say. Um, <laughs> but it's a fascinating movie in terms of its structure because it starts in the present and the past slowly starts to creep in. Mm-hmm. And they have a real fascinating, uh, Taylor Hackford has a real fascinating way, directorial, method of getting into the flashbacks. But as the movie goes on, the past begins to take over. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, you know, from the middle towards the end, the past is really what's going on. Um, it kind of takes the movie over and they do this great color scheme. Yes. Uh, this visual color scheme, right? Where the present is very gray and blue and washed overcast out. and dark washed out. And the past is glorious, mm-hmm. drenched in color and beautiful. And yet it's this ironic twist because it's the past is where all the awful stuff has happened that has messed up everybody's lives. Yeah. Uh, we'll get more about Vera later because that was one of the great revelations of the flick was you have this woman who is like, you know, six pins, Dolores, not five. And her husband can't stand her. Yeah. And we in turn can't stand her either. We understand, you know, and she's just working away trying to make some money. Uh, and, and so it's one of the great revelations of this film when she finally just makes her sit down and tell her story. And I was not yeah. expecting that at all. What's so great about it is it's extremely surprising and yet it completely tracks with the character. So it's surprising as oh, the yeah. viewer, but yeah, you're like, yeah, that follows that figures. Yeah. Yeah. And a killer performance because oh yeah the first time I saw the first time I saw the movie the very old horrible sick Alzheimer's lady in the present I didn't even realize was the same actress she's so great playing that heart you know the horrible old lady and then she's very different as the younger woman so yeah she it's a great performance it really is so good. yeah so um, the other thing with the movie right off the bat that I. I I will gush a little bit about it's not he's not the most important part of this film, but man, John C. Riley, 
Oh yeah. Just kind of yeah. as this little detective uh, with the accent and everything. It reminded me of the 2007 Oscars, which I believe was the 79th Oscars. Is this a song? Um, you know what I'm talking about? The song already? The comedian at the Oscars is the saddest comedian of all. So him thing. and uh, uh, Will Ferrell? Uh, Will Ferrell and, and Jack Black. I thought Michael. the same so, thing watching this movie. Oh, yeah. So so folks, if you're listening, wow. I'm going to post this in the show notes real quick. It's a, it's a YouTube video from the Oscars where Will Ferrell sings about uh, being sad because he's a comedian. He's never getting nominated for anything. And Jack Black is like, we're going to fight everybody. Instead, we're going to fight all the nominees. And then John C. Riley comes out. And here's the lyrics that he sings. This madness must stop. There's no need to fear. You can have your cake and eat it too. Just look at my career. I didn't cry the blues. I didn't pick silly fights. I chose to be in both Boogie and Talladega Nights. So... Here's this guy who's had this excellent career doing anything dramatic and Paul Thomas Anderson movies. And also like he's Dr. Steve rule on the Tim and Eric awesome show. Great job thing. And he's just had this amazing career and his range is so solid in this flick. So I love him from Magnolia. That's, I think that's one of the greatest films of all time and he is amazing in that. So really, Oh, I love it. Top 10 for sure. I have hardcover, the script and everything. Yeah. Top top ten for me too. Oh, tees! I love it. Which movie? Um, I missed what you guys yeah. said. Magnolia. Sorry. Don't see. That. You, you mean now? Yeah. Okay. You haven't. No, it's okay. I. I. That will be my next season. Gush for absolute. Sweet. Sure. Um, <laughs> so seeing him with more range and younger it was just such a treat. It was. And um, I don't want to jump too far into the end, but just where he has that chance to kind of be like you know the protege to the this great detective, and he's just like, well, here's kind of what the truth is, and he's not going to manipulate things. He's like. He's just, I, I just loved him in this film. Just love John C. Riley. He's general. a good man. Mm-hmm. He's a very good man in yeah. this movie. Yes. And then watch Step Brothers right yeah. after and tell me how you feel. <laughs> 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 um, and so, so from there, I just wanted to get into the theme. I mean, it's stated right there in the car, you know, uh, language abounds. Here we go. Sometimes being a bitch is all a woman has to hold on to. And just said, it's said super casually. And yet it permeates that thought oh, yeah. throughout the film. You know, so it, many scenes. you know it's important without calling attention to it. And the way it reverberates over and over is. Over yeah. and over. And, t- and, and again, so because it said three very specific times in three very different ways. By three right? different characters. Dolores. Ca- oh, yeah. Dolores casually throws it off at the beginning. Selena, her daughter, says it in a very embittered way in the middle Mm -hmm. and then Vera pops up again Vera pops up towards the end and says it in an incredible way that we realize all of a sudden everything we've been watching has been driven by this woman saying that line Mm. at that exact moment you know and and encouraging Dolores to go kill her pedophile husband Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah uh, (laughs) I was going to say spoilers, but I'll just throw it at the onset. Of course, we're going to spoil this whole movie. People know that by now, but I'm glad you brought the husband because Joe has got to be one of the most unredeemable characters I have ever seen in a movie with like, there's no, my dad beat me. That's why I'm this way. You know, you get kind of, I don't know, like the, the one time you could possibly feel pity for the man is when his mother warned him about her or something to that extent. But it's like, no, dude, like through and through, like you absolutely suck. And there's there's never a moment where you think maybe Joe will be redeemed. Like this guy is as flat no. as can be, in, in my opinion. I'm embarrassed about how long it took me to realize that was David. Was it Straight Theron? How do you, I don't know. You say his last name. Straight Theron? Str- Straight Theron, yeah. He melts into that role. Also, yeah. Yes. 
Oh, yeah. And one of, in general, one of the most likable leading men or character really actors, is. depending yes. on what movie he's in, right? Like, you know, like, let's just take this year's Nomadland. He is so wonderful in that, playing the love interest. Yeah. Uh, you know, there all the movies in his early career where he just played these really good men. And so to see him play this just reprehensible, foul, horrible guy, I was like, wow, okay, here's somebody with even more range than I anticipated. Yeah, and you could just tell, like, from somebody who is who constantly plays a good man and a good guy, like you just, I, you just know he sunk his teeth into finally playing oh, yeah. just a, a damn bastard through and through. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And for me, one of the great audience pleasing moments in any movie is towards the beginning in the first extended flashback when he has hit her with the wood, oh, and yeah. she's you know in so much pain for so long. And it's so beautifully directed because out of nowhere, when that pitcher of cream smacks him the head, and then what happens after that, when she, when she has the axe and she drops it in his lap and she's like, if you hit me again, one of us is going to the bone yard. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you're just like, yeah, yeah. You know, you're just sitting there in the audience cheering out loud. It's so great. Do you remember if they cheered during that part? That what? Do you remember if they cheered during that part of the movie when you saw it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Big time. I Big love time. it. I love it when those little moments of audience participation just occur. I just, I love that. Love it. Um, yes. And yeah, you know, even the, the way there was that parallel, right? When he hits her that first time and, and there's a, that great shock and it was, it was a log. And then if you go through the story and you think back to that, that first segment when she's going through the kitchen trying to find the right thing. That rolling pin is so much like that mm, log. Mm. You know, yeah. I think that was one oh, yeah. thing that helped not be able to bring her to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So, so good. Yeah. And that's, it has so many, please, as dark as the movie is. And it's, you know, when you really stop to think about it, it is a dark, dark film in terms of the subject matter and what happens and what they're addressing and the themes. But it does still have so many thrilling and exciting you know, payoffs for the audience, mm -hmm. like the total eclipse, when she finally calls him on what's happening, mm -hmm. his reaction and what she starts to say to him is so powerful and so satisfying. And, and then, you know, if you're a King fan and you know, all the movies and everything, her final line to him before she leads him off to the well is, you know, all you're going to end up with is 20 to life in Shawshank prison, right? Oh, yeah, so I just bringing that. Shawshank Redemption in. Yep. <laughs> all the Stephen King ones just tie into one big world. So when she said Shawshank, I was like, yes, that's exactly where you deserve to yes. go. I think you hit on something because it's, exactly. it is a really dark movie, but at no point did I find it overbearing. Like I was so engaged with the characters. I just wanted to know more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I would agree. I think my, you know, speaking on the darkness of the film in general, this came out in 95. And I remember thinking, man, King has consistently been just ahead of his time throughout his career. Like the, the, the themes and the things that happen in this film, I just thought like, man, like I don't see thrillers dealing with this stuff now. You know, I think about some of the yeah. Morgan Freeman ones in the early 2000s, Along Came a Spider and things like that. But um, I was thinking, man, like this is so intensely dark for a 90s film. Not to say that we're all, you know, old here or anything, but um, yeah. that was definitely my first thought was just, and especially once it got towards the end when uh, Jennifer Jason Lee has her flashback and on the boat and, yeah. oh my gosh. I'm so, well, and also, also a very feminist it. film because mm -hmm. 
in that big in that big scene in the middle that we're talking about where Vera reveals all to Dolores when they're sitting in the living room. Um, and she's at first, she's like, where are you going to go? You've never been away from this island. You don't have enough money to escape. And she goes, it's a depressingly masculine world out there, Dolores. And as she begins to just describe the life of a woman, even a very wealthy woman, but particularly a poor woman, um, it's that whole thing of you have one option here mm-hmm. to keep your husband off of your daughter. And that's to kill her. Uh, but it, it's feminist in that it's showing, you know, just the plight of women and their place in society, even, you know, in the mid nineties. And we've certainly been yeah. through a lot of that the last few years. Hopefully things are getting better, but yeah, but just going to your point that King was often ahead of the game thematically and uh, with so many things going on in his stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, the feminist aspect of it, I, I think that's a great call out. I think it was, um, they do a really good job of making Constable Frank, John C. Riley's character more redeeming because I think sometimes there's a big temptation when you're doing um, a theme such uh, such as that that every male character has to be awful, every single man is terrible. But like he's very oh, yeah. redeemable there. You understand where Detective Mackey's coming from, which is Christopher Plummer's character, uh, and we'll go yeah, into him in a bit that. as well. Um, you have these these men, a couple of these good men that really help um, tie the world to something more. I don't want to say real, but you 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 cheer so much more for Dolores and Selena's struggles and the, the way that they had to overcome and go through things. But you also understand the male characters as well. Um, and so that all genius, mm-hmm. beautiful, just loved it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but let's talk about Christopher so. Plummer who, you know, passed away just a couple of years ago. Um, this goodness, year, wasn't his character. <laughs> oh gosh. Did I, did I say years? I think I meant to say months. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was like, July, IMDb or, uh, July. I mean, uh, February, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, one of our great act, one of the great actors of oh, all yeah. time. He's just such a joy to watch. February. Yep, he was ninety-one uh, years old. That's what it was. <sighs> okay. <sighs> but again, to to see to see him, who is usually so beloved, play a pretty, I wouldn't say despicable man, but a hard, hard. Mm-hmm. He's like Valjean, not not Valjean. Who is it? Who is it? Who right, chases right, Valjean? Right. Um, I can't remember, but the, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but that so that character Javert. Sorry, it took me there a second. Go, yeah, Javert uh, and Christopher Plummer in this movie are very sure. much the same. You know, they they believe they've been wronged. They think this person they're after is guilty, and they will never veer from their view, even if it's proven to them that they're wrong. Absolutely. And so I had recently seen All the Money in the World, which I highly recommend. I, like I know one. it was very controversial with, with Spacey and things like that, but Plummer did an yeah. insanely good job in the movie. Really and it's good. the same it's the same through line of a man that is just it's it's that principle and I'm not budging for nothing. And you get you get a good gotcha. glimpses of that in this flick with um, the flashback where he is talking to Selena, and then you get it again in the present when he's talking to her in the bar, like, do you remember me? Um, and those conversations, yep. and he's just he's so one note, and yes, you really don't get this towards the end until you you know Selena kind of makes it super clear, like this is really about the husband on trial. This really isn't about Vera. This is about mm-hmm. Joe, because he was the detective yeah. on that case. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So good. So great character. Great character. And and they made him look so ugly. I mean, yeah. all that makeup on his face, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Because um, even as an older man, he was so handsome, but they really scabbed him mm-hmm. up for this movie. That was awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. They did a really so great job of making everybody look mm-hmm. different ages. I would, I mean, some of the young, yeah. making people look younger and older, it's such an incredible job because you believe it in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Kathy Bates especially because uh, – so in this, I'm sure this will, won't shock anybody here because my movie library is awful. But so I was inspired after watching this flick. Um, and when we, did, when we didn't have this recording on Wednesday, I was like, oh, let's see what else – you know, Kathy Bates. First thing that pops up in Misery. I had never seen Misery, so immediately watched oh, it. Oh, my. I know. I know. That's the whole point of this podcast. Um, <laughs> it's for me to see more good movies. Um, and, and Misery was amazing. You know, I, I don't know how old she was back then, but, you know, Kathy Bates, like, beautiful lady in, in this yeah. movie, in the in the, in the the present sequence. I almost said the flash forwards. In the present sequences, yeah, completely gray hair, wrinkles galore. Her eyes, like, her irises are always so darn small. Like, she's always looking into the sun. Um just they the makeup in this movie is excellent and they they did a great job with everybody on that yes very much so better right, job so than hold we on to mis- today yeah <laughs> hold on to hold on to misery because when we get towards the end there is because that's an, another very famous stephen king adaptation and there's something i gotta throw in about that but okay. if we have time if we yeah get absolutely uh cat Kathy Bay, I, and I think she's amazing in Misery, won the Oscar. I think she's even better here. She has often said she feels like Dolores is her best performance ever, mm-hmm. and she's phenomenal in the movie. I mean, and it reminds me of another huge favorite of mine, Mildred Pierce, because they're both about women, and they both movies explore kind of the lives of women in a certain situation, but they're both kind of murder mysteries, mm-hmm. and... Mildred Pierce is a very likable character. Dolores Claiborne is a very likable character. But at some point, you start to realize, wow, this person I really like might have killed somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And uh, and Kathy Bates just pulls it off so beautifully. She's so likable in the movie, particularly in those past mm-hmm. flashbacks, you know, or the way she's so strong because the way she stands up to Christopher Plummer continually and the way she does it is very funny. So. Yeah. There's something in the look she gives every time she's reminiscing or thinking about the past, like. Yeah. She has the performance. It really does seem like she's lost in memory mm-hmm. where a lesser actress that would have been such a cheesy moment as she's just staring off. But like, I feel sucked into her memories. Exactly. And here, since we're going to talk about that, here's an interesting thing about the memories and the past, which again takes over the movie. They slowly, uh, Taylor Hackford and Tony Gilroy, they, they, they ease you into it so that it, it doesn't slap you across the face, right? So mm-hmm. by the time we get to the middle of the movie and we're flashing back and forth continuously and then going back to the past for long, long periods, uh, we've gotten used to it. And so it doesn't throw us narratively anymore. And the, yeah. and the color, the color helps because the color helps set us. And one of another one of my favorite films that also jumps around in time is Out of Sight by Soderbergh a few years mm-hmm. later. And he took this device and ran with it in that movie. They have three color schemes to help keep you. Uh, grounded from where you are in, in, in terms of the past and present and your locale. But Kathy Bates, you're right. Kathy Bates, along with all the great technique, and there's some amazing visual techniques. Again, before there was CGI, how they morph the present into the past and back and forth. But her I performance. I was wondering about that. Oh, it was gorgeously done. Yeah. But her acting is so powerful to help us bridge those transitions. Right. And the other fascinating thing about it, and this kind of, I've seen this movie so many times, but it hit me the other night. Every flashback in the movie is from Dolores's perspective. Even if it's more centered on Selena and what's going on with Selena, because brilliantly 
Selena, because of the abuse, has wiped her memory out. Mm-hmm. And, and so the only flashback in the movie from Selena's point of view is that final devastating one where she finally remembers mm-hmm. that her father abused her on the boat. And, of course, other times as well. Um, and at that point, only can, can Selena embrace and see the past again. So right. I just thought that was kind of fascinating because somebody else could have played fast and loose with it and done certain flashbacks from Selena's point of view, but they're all from Dolores's perspective until Selena finally remembers what actually happened. Yeah. And then that you get that oh. shot with her in the bathroom where she can't see her face in the mirror anymore. Oh, Ooh, tripped me right out. Devi- <laughs> yeah. Devastating. So devastating. Do you know any of the effects they use though to transition? Because I was struck by how new and fresh everything feels in it. Like, Part of me was wondering if it was just lighting changes. So they no, fade I, from one shot to another a couple times. Well, like, if, if you remember the, the first significant flashback, Dolores is looking, she's in the house and she's looking at Selena and she's, she's looking towards the front door and the camera slowly pans behind her and as it pans to the other side of her, her whole, her shadow covers it as it pans to the side. It goes from blue to color mm-hmm. and it enters the past. Um, that's and the what transition? Yeah. And so, but what they would do is that whole house was just a, that the house on the outside was a set that was built on a soundstage. And mm-hmm. then, uh, and this is a real terror because I'm not a tech guy, but the stuff in the windows. And then even once you get outside, all the layers are back then they were matte paintings and, and they're these amazing artists. Like if you watch the birds has some of the most beautiful mats you've ever seen. And these are these genius artists who would hand paint glass and then that would become the background and so they did right. a lot of that with this movie we talked about that in the china syndrome it gives i almost yeah. wish the people did that more often because it gives oh, yeah. a certain feel to the movie it, it makes it a little bit more surreal and i but yet you can't tell why mm-hmm. right right it's yeah. beautiful that's beautiful yeah so well done Man, I was almost going down a different rabbit hole, Professor, because when you mentioned Out of Sight, it reminded me of the editor, Ann V. Coates, who we also lost a couple of years ago, who's probably one of the greatest film editors of all time, um, who did not edit Dolores, but we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> no, 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 but, but and maybe maybe the best. And what's fascinating about Ann Coates is that you know she won an Oscar in, what, 62, 63 for Lawrence of Arabia, mm-hmm. and yet in 98 or 99, when Out of Sight came out, she edited that movie and she had a big effect on that film and how it was structured. Because if you read the original screenplay, it's quite different um, in terms of the structure. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stops and starts and all this cool stuff that's going on, it has the greatest sex scene that has no sex in <laughs> movie history between the two of them towards the end. That movie actually changed editing in Hollywood. Every editor in Hollywood started emulating her editing. And she was probably in her 70s by then. And what's interesting is shortly before she died in her nineties, she was, she was editing, um, she edited the first, uh, Shades of Grey. 50 movie. Shades. Yeah, I that's mean, right. She, she stayed in it until she died. And she's a, you're right. She's a terrific editor. Yeah. So I had to gush best. about her real quick. We'll throw that in the show notes as well, folks. Out of sight, uh, George Clooney, uh, Jennifer Lopez, uh, excellent, excellent film. Um, yeah. excellent film. <laughs> But yeah, back to Dolores. Um, the the thing too I wanted to mention is is that first flashback when um, you know she's talking to younger Selena, and then present Selena talks back to her. What that also serves to do is make us think that she is crazy and that she probably did kill this mm. woman. So 
It, it, yes. it does so many things. And those flashbacks do so many things because you, as you start to feel more sympathy for her and her past and things like that, you start to think, well, I don't know. Is she actually crazy? Like what's really going on here? And so it did, uh, you know, we talked about this last time doing double and triple duty, like this, that scene and all those flashbacks did that duty of not quite knowing, like, uh, there's the sequence where she's trying to go back into the house to get some of her, to her possessions from Vera. And as she's just like standing at the bottom of the staircase and looking around, boom, there's a flashback of her taking care of old Vera, you know, and she has yeah. those deep, oh, yeah. those deep gas when she comes back into the real world. And even, you know, even like the scene where she grabs the bedpan, he's like, couldn't you even clean up after her? What kind of people is this? He's like, you're telling me this is evidence and just chucks it right at him. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Great she's awesome. Scene. Oh my goodness. Yes. So, what else? What else, Brennan? What else did you love about yeah, this movie? I've touched on a lot of it. It's, it's uh, it was just refreshing. The story honestly isn't terribly complex. I find it, I love how they let the characters draw the story forward, and and from the filmmaking and the, mm-hmm. the script writing that that despite it, I mean I don't mean that as an insult. It's not complex because it feels complex because you're feeling the emotions the characters are feeling. And I, I just really like that through line that pulls yes. you the way through because you feel the heartbreak and the horror and the the terror that I think Kathy is, Bates is, or Dolores is going through the entire time. And I, I just think it was a master, yeah. masterful writing, masterful uh, acting, editing. I mean, all of that came together so well. Mm-hmm. Well, and the the structure of it is incredibly complex. And, it is, and he. He keeps spiraling inward. So one of my favorite examples is in the past, Dolores finally confronts Selena on the ferry. She's like, something's wrong. Right. Are you pregnant? Are, are you doing drugs? Like, what is it? We're staying on this ferry until you tell me what it is. Mm-hmm. And they get in a huge fight and Selena slaps her and Dolores sees the, the, pendant, uh, the medallion, yeah. the pendant, her grandma's pendant around her neck. And Dolores goes, like and and again, I got to stop and say because I'm getting goosebumps. Danny Elfman's score is also tremendous in this oh, movie. It is cool. It's such a great score. But there's this moment where Dor- Dolores has this realization. She's like, "Oh my gosh!" And they cut away from that scene. So at that point, you don't know what the revelation is. And then you see her go to the bank. Cameo from the Shawshank Redemption horrible yep. warden <laughs> there in the bank, right? An early but you job. See her go yep. to the bank. Yeah, you see her do all these other things, and we even go to the present, and then it's not until like 10 or 15 minutes later that you come back and you finally realize, you see the rest of that fairy scene play out where she's like, it's your father, isn't it? He's been after you, hasn't he? Right? And so, again, just that structure of never doing a a scene all the way through, we cut from a scene and then cut back to it. We've seen all these other things that add layers to the scene when we finally get back to it. It, it's this just kind of peel the onion spiral that is not only very complex, but it's really hard to pull off. Right. It has to be very right because because the audience can get very confused in a situation like that. And but it's they not. somehow keep you. No, no, no. Yeah, it's very That's clear. What's you going know on. exactly what time period. You know where you are. You know the stakes. I mean, it is extremely complex. I think it's a simple story told in an extremely complex way that is it's easy to follow because of the brilliance of the filmmaking. Yes. Yeah. That's a compliment you don't hear too and, often, Brendan. A very simple story told in a very complex way. I kind of like that. <laughs> and I don't even know that – like simple may not even be the right word. But I mean if you laid out the plot occurrences in a line linearly, 
it, it's easy to follow. I just, I just think the way that it plays out really lets you dive into the character's perspective in a way that few movies really let you do. Agreed. And it keeps you a little off kilter. Right. Yes. Which is how they want you to feel all the way through. That's great. Yeah, you absolutely do. This is so good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was just thinking that so sequence, good. right? You know, she gets to the graveyard and she finally starts telling her the entire story, and and it's so jarring when you cut back when Selena's like, "Nope, that didn't happen. Screw this. I'm out of here. Like, here's a lawyer, <laughs> mother, all that good stuff." Um, I just, I feel like I don't know. I, I had a, a tough time thinking of movies that were even in the same realm like this. I think I got a lot of memento feelings. I felt some of the mm. uh, insomnia yeah. by Nolan. I felt that one. Um, there's a great video game. One of my favorite video games called Alan Wake. I got a little bit, of, a little bit of that vibe in here, um, but yeah, again, excellent film all the way around. I, it's hard to even think of just other moments that we haven't even tapped on yet. But just we got to get to the eclipse as well. Well, it's um, funny you mentioned Alan Wake, the eclipse. which was inspired by Twin Peaks, because I got a, a hint of David Lynch in this a little bit. I'm with kind of the yeah. Melodrama played so sincerely and well. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, with Blue Velvet, what's, what's, you know, one of the opening shots is this gorgeous, bucolic, incredible town. And the, one of the first shots goes down into the ground with all the horrible bugs and an mm-hmm. ear that's severed, right? Uh, get telling you what's about to come in this movie. And so this also, because this town and this island is photographed in the past right. so beautifully. And yet we find all of this horrible stuff going on underneath the surface. Ooh. You know, you so know, yes, Br- just agreeing. <laughs> you know, Brendan, I just realized that shot in Hereditary, he would have gotten for Blue Velvet. Um, there's a shot in Hereditary when they're burying the daughter and you go underneath the ground and you see the worms in the soil and everything. That's a callback oh, yeah, to huh. Blue Velvet. Oh, wow. Huh. Very much so. Yeah, just I was going to say I'll have to rewatch um, Hereditary, but I think I'll wait a while on that. As much as I loved it. <laughs> wait. <laughs> wait, that's, that's a, yet another hard one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But hey, horror is not afraid to tackle such insanely delicate and tough topics. And that's also what makes this movie great is you literally have a woman who is accused of murder twice and her own personal, I don't want to say madness. That's not quite the right term, but you know, the flashbacks and all of that, like how else would you deal with all the craziness that your life has been through and never leaving that Island and being in a small town forever and literally never being able to outrun that detective. I mean, right after they leave the house with her scrapbook, you know, the, the detective drives by, by car trouble. And she's like, we're fine. It's like, you literally can't get away from this guy. And that really spoke well to, you know, the, 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 the small, uh, it was an Island. Yeah. A small Island. And, and just, there's literally nowhere for her to run. And I feel like even if there was, she's also not going anywhere. She's going to stand her ground and she's going to, you know, that, yes. that calls back to the book, of course. But, um, and she, she, she has a huge line right at the end of the movie where she says, all I wanted is for you to be okay. She says that to her daughter. Mm-hmm. All I ever wanted, so all I've ever done in my whole life since you were born, everything that's happened was because I was trying to make sure you were okay. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, and there's that moment during the trial too where her daughter believes her and she takes that gasp and it's that same gasp that she has almost every single flashback, but she doesn't go back anymore and it kind of stops yeah. the flat like that. To me, like, and that's something yes. I noticed a lot about her breath through the film defined a lot of the sequences of where things are going next. But that last breath of the gasp where her daughter is finally on uh. her side, 
that was it. No more flashbacks. No more going backwards after that. I so. never put that together. That's wonderful. I love it. <laughs> I so got good. my I got my uh, you know my Siskel and Ebert hat on, so I'm looking for this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's like I just watched it the other day for like the 12th or 20th time or whatever. And now it's like, okay, I got to watch it again tonight. <laughs> and, a, and you mentioned you're doing this one in, in class right now? Yes. Um, I, I teach three classes at Pepperdine, but one of them is adaptation. Mm-hmm. And so the students read a novel. We It's actually kind of half an English class. So they read, for instance, Rebecca. We study the text as an English mm-hmm. text you know, as a literature. Mm-hmm. And then we watch the movie and we talk about how the movie was for better or worse. That's great. Adapted. And, uh, so I'm using, cause this is a great adaptation. So I'm, it's one of the many ones. I'm so using can we ask class. what else? Have any of the done? students sorry, picked you're, up? No, I'm oh, sorry. Go, you go ahead, Brandon. I was going to say, have any of the students picked up on anything maybe new to you, or maybe you haven't heard a student pick up on before or something that just kind of made you pause. Has, has anything like that happened yet in class? You know, I always steal from my students, but then I forget that it was them. So <laughs> right now I would say no, even though I'm probably stealing from them. Uh, the student, I mean, my, my students always give me something really Some good. Juicy. Gosh, was, I'll, I'll bring it up later. I'll have to think of it. Yeah, somebody said something one day and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm stealing that. I'm using that every time I teach this text. Awesome. Anyway. Very cool. Um, one thing, and, and I don't know if I drew the right comparison here so we'll go to the, we'll jump to the misery thing real quick and then we'll jump back and talk more about the eclipse thing um in misery and spoilers for misery uh brendan i'm so sorry do what you gotta do like the end the ending sequence where paul is fighting kathy bates character who i don't, I don't know why her name's slipping right now but um was Annie it will annie thank you annie. annie was it a pig figurine that he used to kill her <laughs> I'm trying to remember Gosh, what, I can't remember. Because I'm trying to remember what the statue was. I'm, because Vera had all of these like strange pig figurines, and when I saw that, I was like, and when I saw Misery, I was like, wait a minute, was that the exact same animal from Dolores? And I wasn't sure if anybody else had picked up on that before. Um, I'll throw that in the show notes if I. I'll check Misery later and see because I remember like that was a very strange thing I thought. But Vera, you know, this old lady who's very much towards the end, who is not accepting death very well at all, or even aging the process as it was which how could she either because she also killed her husband with no way of ever truly dealing with that i don't think so in a way vera kind of projects what dolores could be um but i was just thinking of that with the statues because she plays like the um i don't want she has the wind up pig that plays a song that kind of like transfixes vera you know oh my gosh um so I'll check that later, folks. I'll check. The, I'll put that in the show notes if it was a pig statue for misery as well. Um, but yeah, Professor, you said to uh, if we did have time for the misery thing, what thing did you want to say about that? Well, it's a very well-made movie, and she's amazing, and James Conn's amazing. But I'm irritated by the movie because Rob Reiner, who I adore, and actually before the movie came out, I saw an, I saw a screening of the movie before, and okay. I was, I'm a huge fan of the book, and. There are two huge changes. Uh, and, and the movie actually reverses the entire point of the book. And so I put my hand up and I asked him about it and, and he talked about it. So in the movie, uh, one of the big things is she cobbles him right with the, the sledgehammer on his ankle. Yes. Uh, in the book, in the book, she chops his foot off. She literally cuts his foot off at the ankle and uses a, you know, blowtorch to solder. <laughs> and Rob Ryan was like, that was, he was like, he was like, that was too violent for me. I'm not a, 
and I was like, well, then why did you pick the book if that was not <laughs> It's not like breaking but the his more important thing is not really yeah, violent. Mr. Princess Bride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so the, one of the main reasons Stephen King wrote Misery was he was really wrestling with being stuck as the horror writer. Yeah. Yes. And if you read particularly his first nonfiction book, Dance Macabre, he talks, Macabre, he, he, he talks a lot about that every time he would try to write something that wasn't horror, people would be like, yeah, that's fine. But, but when am I going to get his agent be like, when are we going to get the next horror book? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and he said he wrote Christine, which is not a very good book specifically to just give them something about a killer car. (laughs) Right. So misery was his way of working out that, okay, I'm going to accept that in general, I'm a great horror writer. So in the book misery, this guy is trapped in this romance novel thing Mm -hmm. and he has written his own personal novel. And in the book, he realizes the personal novel was crap and it's the personal novel. He burns at the end, making her think it's the, the, the last misery novel, Mm -hmm. because one of the ironies in the novel is that Annie, by pushing him and saying that doesn't work and that's a fake out, she actually causes him to write the best book of his career. And he saves that book and publishes it to great acclaim and embraces the fact that I'm a romance novelist. Rob Reiner was like, I hated that. <laughs> so I switched it. <laughs> so what you were, so, you, you were in a screening and Rob Reiner was there answering questions. Yeah. AFI oh. used to do these great screenings where they would ha- show a movie and oftentimes it was before it was released and they would have the director there and it'd be like 80 people in a small screening room up, up at AFI. It was amazing. I saw Jacob's Ladder two weeks Ooh. before it was released. Adrian Lyne was there. I didn't sleep for like three nights. That movie scares me out of me, right? It's so scary. <laughs> um, so those, and I was, you know, I was in my twenties then. Those nights were really thrilling as a, as a, you know, wannabe filmmaker. Sure. Um, and like I said, Rob Reiner is the dearest guy, but, him changing the entire point of the novel kind of hurt me as well. I can see that. You know, I'm that makes I'm sense. I'm glad you brought up Rob. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Rob Reiner because this is okay. So here's my ADD coming in. So Rob Reiner was is a famous director. He's known for things like Misery and The Princess Bride. Rob Reiner was ripped to shreds. A few good, a few good men. A few, yep. Oh yeah. Oh there. Oh there's a bunch. Um, he was yeah. ripped to shreds in a South Park episode. Because he was this driving force of trying to remove smoking from, um, you know, trying to get people to stop smoking and removing smoking from movies. Um, watching Dolores and then also watching Julia in preparation for this episode uh, really makes <laughs> me miss. This is going to sound so stupid, but it makes me miss when people smoked in film. Are you kidding? Any, like I, I showed a friend all about Eve the other night. They literally, any of those 40s and 50 movies everyone has a cigarette in their hand and it's so cool and they yes. look so great. And yes, it makes you want to smoke. And the things it does to the lighting it's awesome. too, it's atmospheric and the yes. swirls. Oh yeah. Blade Runner. Yeah. Oh. So, exactly. So yeah, that's, that was, that was one, I don't want to say lame takeaway, but from both no, of those. What you're saying like, is, it's man, like, my gosh, we encourage smoking. We're pro smoking. I get it. I hear you. I mean, whereas in a lot of <laughs> modern day movies, you know, Back back in those movies, if someone smoked, it was really cool. And now, if someone lights they're up a cigarette, you're like, oh, they're going to be the serial killer. <laughs> yeah. Which is perfect because we just we saw Cruella a couple of weeks ago, and it was rated PG-13 for, I think, I have to remember what it says in the rating. It's like for a light depiction of character smoking 
or something. And when she lights up in the movie, wow. it is yeah. cool. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and yeah. It did make me oh, want to yeah. smoke. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really miss that in a weird way. Not a, not because it's a product no. placement. I'm or teasing you, but I can suggest a thing, but you. yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I can't explain it any better way than that, but both of those films, I was like, damn it. We need more smoking in movies. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Now let's now, of course, so we don't get in trouble. Sure. Let's just say it. Anybody who's listening, smoking calls cancer. It's really bad for Amen. you. You shouldn't do it. But yeah, it's awesome to see in movies. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Growing up in the 90s, it was the uh, tobacco, tumor-causing, teeth-staining, smelly-puking habit, and the D.A.R.E. program. And <laughs> so there's all that. All right. So then we get to our clip sequence, and we have Dolores, and this is her shot um, for the accident to occur. What was um, the detective? It was... Uh, Mackie. Yes, it was uh, the phrase was death by misadventure. That's what occurred with the show. <laughs> um, yes, and it's a great buildup. You know, we got she's working at that party, and then she gets sent home, and from there we get to the the house. And Joe, you know, what are you doing here? And he just he's Joe is perpetually an asshole in the movie, and it just never lets up. And and she gets him the whiskey. Does anyone remember what the whiskey it was, was called? It was um, it's called black and white. It's thank Scotch. You. Black and yeah. which, okay. The mm-hmm. irony of that name, black and white. Like here's a very clear cut. There's no gray to nope. this. Black and white. Right. You know. Oh, yeah. What's about to happen here? And uh, you know, Joe gets his food, and everyone's kind of going out there. And um, I'm trying to remember what she says that triggers his rage. Um, it was. Oh my gosh, my mind is fading because I'm thinking about the black and white alcohol. Oh, shit. She said, you mean when he attacks her? Yes. What was it? She said, I got some other news to tell you, Joe, something like that. I'm trying to remember what that phrase was. Uh, it was about the, the money, she the said, bank account. She's, yeah. That's what it was. Um, uh, yeah. And then from there we get this awesome, awesome chase that I just had to gush about as well. Just that, you know, him running after her, you get those moments where, you know, you think that he's about to win. And I love those moments in film where you think the lead's about to fail, even though you have seen the whole thing where she's alive and it's all these things. But like yeah. he tackled her at one point. I was just like, OK, I don't see her getting out of this. But then he gets into the pit and he's like uh, he's calling her um, D, you know, like trying to be all soft all of a sudden. And she just lets him fall. Yeah, Let's cathartic. So I'll throw that to you oh, guys because yeah. I, I gushed about that. I just I love that sequence. Well, and and that actually is much more violent in the book. I mean, she goes out in the middle of the night and he's still alive and he's crawled up and she ends up smacking him with oh. a rock to get him to go back down in there. They it's not nearly as violent in the uh, in the movie. Um, but and and for me, the confrontation between the two of them when she finally says, you know, I, I forget the the exact line, but she's like, you know what are your boys down at the bar going to think when the only piece of ass you can get is your 13 year old daughter and his reaction, his reaction is stunning. And he goes, and he, he says, I didn't do that. And she's like, Oh yeah. Then why does it look like the devil himself just came up and grabbed your balls? Right. And his reaction is just like that. It's, and then that the whole way that plays out. Yeah. Oh, so good. Mm -hmm. Two great actors having a ball. Yeah. And I think, yeah. It's worth noting the fact that we're watching an eclipse happening while it's like the the, the, the light is being blocked out. And, yes. Ah, juicy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right back with yeah. that black and so white juicy. whiskey. And and perfect because, yeah, because he, he he hits the, the well just as the eclipse happens and no one can hear him screaming because everybody is 
honking their horns and honking their boat horns and yelling and scream, stuff like that. So they can't hear that he's in trouble. Mm-hmm. So good. Love so it. good. Oh. Well, I, I, for one, am all gushed out. Brendan, anything else nah, from you? Good, that sir. Was wonderful. So, so thrilled. Yeah. Professor, you, anything else? I would say if somebody, you know, even if we've given everything away, it's a, it's a movie that's so good that even if you, know kind of what's happening. The surprises and the craftsmanship of the movie is so wonderful. Uh, if you haven't seen it, just run right out there and do it. And I think you can even rent yep, it on Prime for like two yep. bucks. So. Well, um, right now it is free on Xfinity. So if you have Xfinity, uh, oh, okay. the application is Tubi and it's free on Tubi. So you are Absolutely good to go no. from there. I think this is one where the journey is definitely Excellent. worth it. You can know exactly what's going to happen and still just a, it's a treat of a ride to go with these characters. Yeah. It, yeah. it definitely yeah. made me want to seek out other movies like this, but all the recommendations were just kind of mm. court films. So um, if this movie makes anyone think of any other like genre specific flicks like this, where the editing is, you know, kind of a flashbacky story and it's not a hokey way, it's done really well, please post in the comments. We would greatly appreciate that. Um, can, can I also just throw in a random fact yeah. that the DP, the DP is named Gabriel Berenstain. And he is, if you look at his credits, he never became like a hugely famous DP the way some people are, but he works constantly and he still does. And I was his yoga teacher for a few years and he is the awesome. man what? in the world. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And so I, when I figured out that he was the DP of Dolores Claiborne, that poor man, I, every time I'd see him at the yoga studio, I'd be like, okay, you got to tell me some more. You got to tell me some more. He, uh, uh, and, but he's he's done a lot of really good stuff too, and and I would say his work on the movie, which was very, he said it was really difficult to pull off, both with the weather on that island and trying to, the weather usually was gray, so being able to make the pass look so glorious, um, he did a tremendous job as the cinematographer. Well, well, did he give you anything that you could share the uh, behind the scenes thing, maybe, or anything like that? You know, it was mostly um, that uh, uh, just how difficult the flashbacks were. And it's been a while since I've talked to him about this, but he was the one who told me that there were, it were that the, with the eclipse, there are five different layers going on there that they shot separately and then they put together, you know, on the 35 millimeter film. And the shame of it is that if you watch, for instance, like the birds, and I keep, you know, I will go on and on about The Birds, which is one of the most twisted, sick movies of all time. It's awesome. <laughs> um, but if you watch it on TV, the matte shots are, are – it's very clear that the matte shot that you're looking at, even though it's beautiful. But those things weren't made to be on TV in high def. They were made to be shown on 35 millimeter with light going through. Mm-hmm. So it's a little – slightly more fuzzier. And in the theater projected on 35 millimeter, that stuff looked 100 percent real. Um so it's, cool. it's like uh, uh, a few years ago they showed, and it was one of the great experiences of my life because I love this movie. They showed The Wizard of Oz in 3D, and I saw it in an IMAX theater. And because it was digital, you could see sometimes even strokes of paint <gasps> in the paint on the on the backdrops, like when they're when you're looking at Emerald City when they're about to run through the poppy field. Um, but it it actually didn't hurt the movie because that stuff is so beautiful. And um, the the artistry of it is so gorgeous that it, it was just kind of cool to see yeah. in that way. But when originally projected, that stuff looks very real. That's incredible. 
Yes, it is. That reminded me. I think we talked about this in China Syndrome. There was a movie that you mentioned that was um, when it when it was uh, showed out in theaters. It was on three different screens. Does this sound familiar? What was that? Because I think it was at that CinemaScope. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in CinemaScope, they had three cameras going, and um, there were a number of movies shot in CinemaScope, including. But kind of the first big one was How the West Was Won with James Stewart. Yes. Yeah, but I think it's a mad, 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 mad world was shot that way too. Um, don't quote me on that. Okay, <laughs> that's something I gotta look more into because that would be that would be an unreal experience. I don't even know how that how else you one would see that except for there. I'm, I'm um, taking the wife that, to, uh, to yeah. LA for a ten year anniversary next month, and we're trying to figure out what theaters to go to. Professor, well, we go right ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No. Off. Yeah. Off podcast. Let's let's email about it because I'll tell you where. Oh, it please fantastic. do. Please do. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, well, on that note, it's time for game number one. Professor, please pick a number between one and 323. 79. 79. Let's see if that's cast territory. Nope, out of cast territory. 79, 79, 79. Oh, cool. Randy Hardy is credited as standby painter for this film. Ooh. I have never heard. Well, it's that an art department. Well, I've painting? never heard of such a job. Standby painter. The suppose it could be set too, but that'd be cool if he was a matte painter. Yeah, falls under art department. Uh, let's see. Randy is. Oh gosh, Randy just worked on the lighthouse. Ooh. Which I think wow. you said was just okay, Brad. No, I love the lighthouse. Uh, oh, you liked it? Okay, somebody else told me it was just okay. I don't blame um, anybody for not liking it, but I thought it was great. Dolores Claiborne was his first role. Uh, was his first uh, wow. time working in the art department. That's a heck of a first-time oh, job. Awesome. Let's see. Hanging yeah. Gardens, Sweet Angel of Mine, Proof of Life. He was a standby painter in that one. Uh, let's see. Do we, do we know Story. what that role is? A lot of TV is? movies. Uh, I will let you look I'm it up while I continue right now. Yeah. to list the movies. Call Me Fitz, Blackbird, Relative Happiness. Uh, oh, I got it. Yeah? It says a standby painter is – Exactly what it says. You stand by to quickly paint anything that needs a touch. Oh, that's awesome. To do that, you hang out on set, and before each shot is filmed, you check in with the cameraman to make sure they're getting a clean, good look. So somebody's shot. coming through the camera wrong. You need to touch up a spot here, do something on the set there. Yeah. Huh. So Maybe the actor banged into the wall and caused a little scuff, and so they have to That's great. That. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, Randy is still working. It looks like he's doing Tales from the Loop, which is a really cool show on Amazon Prime if you haven't seen I, it yet. I'm a uh, game master for a Tales from the Loop role-playing game. Oh, that's awesome. I funded all their Kickstarters, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Randy, hey, man, uh, because of you, this movie is as excellent as it is, and we're so glad that you're still working. Uh, thank you for working on Dolores Claiborne, sir. We really appreciate all the work. I love that. Yeah. All right. So now if you pick one through three, so we can we can talk some uh, some other movies. So I pick one to two. You want two? I do I want I two? Know. Well, I, I don't know one, if you two want or any three. of them. <laughs> All right, two. Two it is. I pick two. Uh, if you don't something mind, nice. could you say something nice about the movie so nice. Twister? Oh, please do. <laughs> Okay, for it's really, really difficult 
and actually, in my world, a little bit immoral to say anything nice about Twister. My, but my wife's favorite film of all I time. I will say doing on the podcast for that the prologue. <laughs> the the prologue is actually quite good. Excellent. The yes, it prologue is. Prologue when it shows <laughs> Helena. But all right, and look, I, let me just explain. Part yeah, of I want to know. Right I am curious. Is okay. That well, first it's horrible. But second, <laughs> that movie. That movie was marketed as a thriller, as Jaws, okay? And so I went into the movie theater thinking I was going to see a movie like Jaws, and the prologue was amazing, and I was like, ooh, this is going to be great. And then the rest of the movie was this jokey, half-assed, making fun, cow flying by, <laughs> the bad guys drive black vans, they're not in it for the science, they're in it for the money. God bless Bill Paxton having to deliver that line with a straight face. It's... <laughs> And, uh, and, and, and so, and here's the other thing from a, but that's what they wanted the movie to be. And it was a big hit. I was expecting something else, but I also think the setup of the movie is bad because it's not scary. If you're filming Jaws and every time there's a fin in the water, the people in the boat go, Oh, look. And they dive into the water and swim to the fin. There's no fear. <laughs> right? right. So the whole fact in Twister that they're running to the storm takes any suspense or fear out of them. It's just a backwards way to tell that story. Well, well you're going to have to forgive us because I think we will end up gushing about it at some point for another guest. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, really liked it as a kid, but I, don't, I haven't yeah. seen it as an adult. So I'm, I'm curious to give it another another viewing. We all – look, Capricorn 1 is one of my favorite movies. I'll still say it's one of my favorite movies. It's not that great of a movie, but I loved it as a kid. I love it now. A lot of people like The Goonies, and they'll never let go of the fact that it's also bad. Oh, my so, gosh. Yes, know. it is. Thank oh, you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for I'm saying actually, that. I oh. saw Goonies for the first time as an adult and thought, what is everybody talking about? Oh, my gosh. Like exactly. all the kids talking over each other and like every sequel. Oh, no, don't even get me started on the Goonies, all right? Like, I'm glad it got Christopher, Chris Columbus his career. That'll be our first. he is awesome. Yes. We'll do you an know. episode on the Goonies for our first episode of Cinema Dump. <laughs> well, as, as an adult, what you have to remember is that everybody sees certain genre conventions for the first time. True. And so for a lot of younger people, the Goonies was thrilling because they were seeing what for a lot of people were tired because I've you know if you've seen 10 movies you've seen the goonies mm. right and you yeah. know it's going to happen but if it's your if it's your first experience with those genre conventions and plot twists and everything then it's a thrilling movie so that for a lot of people was their intro into that certain type of movie and that's great it's great yeah uh, you know and and here's the thing too and and we'll I will use this to jump into the uh as we, as we always end the show we talk about movies and shows and books and things that we're currently uh, indulging in and things that we want to tell people about so I will actually start to pivot off of that point which is I love adventure films I love Indiana Jones I love the mummy I, I I love pirates and things like that we saw Jungle Cruise recently and it gave me exactly what I needed I I never see adventure awesome. films anymore um and I'm, yeah. I'm sure because they're they're insanely expensive to make and you know maybe the 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 great I think you can only really do a good adventure film these days, if you're flashing back to a different time, like I think that's why India works so well. I think that's why pirates work so well. And, and why I think jungle cruise works so well as well is because modern day, it's like, Oh, cell phone service. And they have to have the line about why cell phones don't work. And then uh, GPS. And then we have to have a line about why GPS doesn't work and all these different things. And I feel like, I just feel like you don't get enough of those films. And I just adore movies like that. So I saw jungle cruise and I really liked it for what it was. Um, 
Especially like, the, I mean, I think the movie probably would have been better if it was Brendan Fraser instead of The Rock, <laughs> but The Rock still did a really great job of, if you've ever ridden the Jungle Cruise ride, I will next you time. will enjoy the movie. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, wow, maybe yes. wait, actually, that'd be interesting. <laughs> um, so I saw Jungle Cruise and I really enjoyed it. Uh, Reminiscence came out today, so I will uh, definitely see that. I think Lisa Joy is a great writer and her husband is also a great writer. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing Reminiscence. I did see... Um, Suicide Squad, we touched on that just Talk a little bit, that, yep. which I, you know, you know, pretty good for what it was, all told. Well, I did, um, I had a good time. It was a James Gunn movie, it was what you expected. Yeah, I had read a review that somebody had said uh, this was a um, a grunge, a modern day grunge house superhero film. I was like, grunge house, that's the way to look at it, mm-hmm. is through that kind of, you know, Robert Rodriguez lens, I suppose. Um, Any movie so really that gives that. me a live action star, I would get some credit in my book. DC Comics nerd here. I got a live action Starro taken seriously. It's a, um, I gotta say, I enjoyed it. Excellent. Um, let's see. As far as books, I'm reading, you know, uh, Robert McKee did Story many years ago, and I read that book and I listened. Oh, actually, I listened to the audiobook of it and took a lot of notes, and it helped a lot with my uh, writing foundations. He just released a book called Character which I'm starting now uh, just to see how that one turns out. And um, past that, we are getting ready to binge all of Ted Lasso. So those Keep are the things posted. that I'm I gotta enjoying. Do that. So good. Yeah, for sure. So, Professor, what are you enjoying these days, movies, shows? Uh, what, what do you just want to tell yes. the world that they got to check out? Uh, I think most people have probably seen it, but Mayor of Easttown is one of the best things I've seen on TV. In I'm years. excited about that. It was phenomenal. We're going to do that, I think, this fall. Absolutely phenomenal. Right on. Yeah. And uh, I don't tend to throw, like, pitch myself, but I will say, since we're talking about Stephen King, and I'm like one of the biggest Stephen King fanatics in the world, um, <laughs> my, I, have a, I have a blog on foodandfilm.com, and there's a piece there I'm really proud of called The Grand Romances of Stephen King, because he actually has incredible romances in many of his novels. And I think his masterpiece is actually not a horror book. It's a time travel book, 112263. And the TV adaptation is, is actually quite good. But that to me is his masterpiece. And it is a grand romance. Like awesome. Wally, ultimately, 112263 is a romance. And it is a tremendous, towering book. Um, so I'll throw that out there and you can go to my the adaptation. Did you, you like, like that too? <clears throat> I did. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, but like the dead zone has a terrific romance in it and, uh, there's a romantic aspect to misery, at least in the book too. I mean, there's, there's, he does interesting things with romance all through his novels. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will still, this is old, but because a lot of people didn't watch it, I will still always flow out, throw out Fleabag. As one of the best sure. shows I've ever seen. Wow. 12 episodes of genius. And a lot of people can't get past the first five minutes because it's so in your face. Yes, that's but, what happened to me. <laughs> we watched it. Okay, but, yeah. you have, but, you have, but you have a character who has to start at the absolute bottom to rise. And the first season is great. But the second season where the priest comes in and one of the main characters of season two is actually God. It's, it's phenomenal. It's mind-blowing. It's so good. All right. Anyway, those are mine. Right on. We'll definitely check that one out. Well, I want you had posted a picture of all of those books that you were reading for the summer. Had you, <coughs> had you cranked through any of those? Yeah, I've read three. Uh, Falling, which was a real just fun. I mean, they're all kind of fun summer thrillers. Mm-hmm. Um, Falling was just a lot of fun. I'm halfway through two right now. I'm kind of reading both at the same time. The Gone World and 
see if I can remember the other one. Uh, oh, the, the law, a law of innocence, age of innocence, something like that. Um, I, I will say, if you'd like just a fast, you can read it in a day, summer read, read it on a plane. What you might not want to read it on a plane because right. it's about a hijack <laughs> is falling. That was fun. Awesome. Yeah, the story behind that book is really cool. Uh, it was a flight attendant that just yes. wrote it on the overnights, I think, on her phone. Uh, so I, I'm definitely going to pick that one up based off your recommendation. Uh, and like like 50 agents turned it down. Like uh, no one would pick it up. And she finally got it picked up, and the film rights went for like $2.5 million or something like that. So yeah. good for her. Are you guys familiar Absolutely. with the, uh, the Michael Crichton book, uh, Airframe? Yeah. yeah. The worst turbulence I've ever experienced in my life is the only scene in that book about turbulence tearing a plane apart and sucking everybody out the window. Oh, my gosh. Uh, You got to be careful what you read on planes. Y'all probably cut this out. But a friend of mine gave me this book called A Monster Calls, which was actually a pretty good movie. And she said, you have to read this book. It's a kid's book, but it's not really. And so I read it on a plane. And... By the time I finished the book, I was crying so hard <laughs> on a plane, mind you, that I could hear people like 10 rows back asking the stewardess, what is wrong with that man? And I couldn't stop crying because the book was so powerful wow. and so amazing. So so I highly recommend it, but don't read it on a plane because okay. you'll embarrass yourself in front of you know, 200 people. Read, reading the script did the exact same thing to me. So yes, that one's awesome. <laughs> uh, Brendan, what about you? What are you enjoying these days? What are you, what are you consuming? Um, so when you were on last time for China Syndrome, you recommended BoJack Horseman. So I finally got around to doing that, and I am just oh. adoring it. Yes, we did, same. We did the episode how, how far you Silent into Underwater recently, and that was one of the oh my coolest gosh, episodes that right? I've ever seen. Ever. Yep. And have you gotten to the funeral? The funeral. Uh, there has been a funeral. Is there... Hmm. The, the co-creator of the, the show. Single. Uh, Different funeral. Okay. No. So apparently not. That, that, well, I mean, there's there's a there's another very famous episode that is a funeral, okay. and the entire episode is his eulogy. Oh no, I have not gotten there. That sounds lovely. Awesome. It's just a phenom- It's a phenomenal so, show. Yeah. That's I've been enjoying every episode. minute of it. It's great. It's heartwarming and Glad hilarious and excellent. Mm-hmm. Did that. Um, I probably <laughs> at risk of, of over gushing. I'll, I'll just state I saw the last Evangelion movie and it was everything I wanted it to be, and I'm so in love <laughs> with it. Uh, but we'll skip off of that because the I forgot to mention last week, and I can't believe I forgot it because it's the in my mind the best movie I've seen in years. I adored from minute one to the last minute. Man, the Green Knight is the best thing I have seen in forever. Oh wow! I cannot wait to see it. I can't wait to see. Cannot recommend it stronger. It is a movie that is everything film should be. I love it to my toes. I came home beaming ear to ear. My wife asked, "Good." And I told her <laughs> nothing, and I made her go see it two days later so that we could talk about it because it was, it is oh. oozing with atmosphere and symbolism. And at the same time, it's funny and scary. And I, I there, there's nothing I can say other than watch it, it's incredible. I'll, if, if I could throw in, I had the opportunity. I, I, I host film festivals and 
just one of the things that I do. And so I get to interview cool people oh. sometimes. And so I was able to interview that director one day for about oh. an hour in front of a bunch of people. And he is about the nicest person I have David ever Lowry? met in my life. Oh. He is the he is the nicest guy. Good to know. He's like he's like the anti the anti James Cameron. He is just the <laughs> nicest person in the history. Well, he made just an incredible movie. I uh, it's it's I think it's going to go down as wait. one of my favorite movies ever. I I it, I can't believe I'm embarrassed that I forgot to mention it last week because I've thought literally about nothing else since I saw it. So. Oh gosh, a ghost story will do the same thing to you when you see it. Yep, I it's on my to do list. So. Yep. Yeah, um, that and I'm still working my way through Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I got distracted by it, but I'm enjoying it. It's still a great read. Pulp, pulpy. I was going to say Pulp Fiction, but that's a little too on the nose. Well, awesome. Well, I'm glad you followed up about BoJack Horseman because I started it um, last week. I'm only on the third episode, but then I also saw The Parallax View, which you recommended like crazy, Professor, and holy oh. crap, I enjoyed the hell out of that. Oh my god! Did you um, I'm so glad. Oh. So good. Yeah. So was that the one that you said was a part of a trilogy? Is that right? With Clute? Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, we, we caught with Clute, Parallax View, and All the President's Men. It's Pakula's Paranoia trilogy. 72, 74, 76. These three movies are all, all shot by Gordon Willis, all dealing with intense paranoia, all masterpieces. They're all so good. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you said they're all masterpieces because I'm wondering if any of them fall into your 11 through 15. Good, sir, as we end the show, let's hear what's in your 11 to 15. Okay. L.A. Confidential. Oh, yes. The Graduate. Ordinary People. Yeah. Which a lot of people get mad at because it beat Raging Bull and it for Best Picture and it 100% deserved to the Oscar over Raging Bull, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, Tootsie. Yeah. The greatest, screen, the greatest screen comedy of all time, hands down. And then a movie a lot of people haven't seen, but I mean, it was up for a bunch of Oscars, but one of my just closest, close, closest to my heart movies, which is going to sound cheesy, but uh, Places in the Heart. I don't know that one. Uh, and if you haven't seen Places in the Heart, you must go see it right. You the must find is, it right now. The movies Robert you've Bitten, listed are one, all some of my favorite movies as well. So the, about half of them I haven't <laughs> seen, so I'm just trusting you and going to go for it. So it'll, it's a matter okay. of Places in the Heart, written directed by Robert Benton. Sally Field won her second Oscar. And another fascinating thing, uh, there are many great things about this movie, but this movie features John Malkovich screen debut, mm. debut, um, Ed Harris in one of his first movies, uh, uh, Gosh, I'm blanking. Amy Madigan. In fact, Amy Madigan and Ed Harris fell in love and are still married. Um, from that movie, Danny Glover, one of his first movies. It's, it's and tremendous. And it is added to my watch list. Cool. Wonderful. Oh yeah. These, that's, I think that's the best part about these, these, you know, the, what having professor on is like people look at those lists and they just start cranking through all those movies. And so, um, ordinary people also Alvin Sargent, who also did, uh, Julia and, uh, Spider-Man too. Julia? Yep. Yeah, and he won he won Oscars for both Ordinary People and Julia, and also wrote one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's not in my top twenty, but it's always close. Is Paper Moon? Yeah, one of the most purely enjoyable movies you will ever watch. So Spider Man Two, huh? Yeah, Spider Man Two and yeah, Three. I think working, those were his yeah. last credits, weren't they? Uh, yeah. Let's see. Yeah, I I still credit Spider Man Two for. Making so me a film did nerd. Amazing yeah. Spider-Man, Spider-Man it, it 3, clicked. Spider-Man 2. Okay, so those were like the last three things he did. All right. Yeah. So he, okay. And what about Bob? Great writer. <laughs> right. Cool. 
Yeah, so, it would have been fun. Fantastic. Well, professors, always enjoy. The next time we have you on, we're going to do top 10, and that will be a okay. severe treat. So uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. <laughs> have yourselves an amazing day, and we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for having Love me. Love y'all.